Candace Parker is along with us tonight. And moments ago, Kristen Ledlow. Parker, what a look inside. Kristen Ledlow is on our sideline with the terrific Candace Parker. I'm Kristen Ledlow. I'm Candace Parker. And this is Ledlow and Parker. Welcome into Ledlow and Parker. We've got Doris Burke on the show today, one of my all-time favorite broadcasters, one of my all-time favorite people. And this is a special NBA on Christmas Day edition. And we've got a special edition of... I will handle it with dignity and class. You certainly messed up a lot more than I did. I think all of us just want to lead the league better than when we came into it. And that's what we said. That's what we said. <laughs> that's what we said. <laughs> that's, that's what, what we, we said. said. Yes, we did it. Nailed it. We are like, we're pros at this. This is the fan mailbag edition. We asked for questions from the fans, so let's go ahead and get them started. Hi, I'm Jay. Unfortunately, I'm from Holland, but dear Kristen and dear Candice, What's the most fun thing about being on a podcast together? And by the way, it's the best podcast out there. Fear the deer. Are we worldwide? Well, first of all, I do want to start this by saying I am Dutch. So so unfortunately, you're from Holland. You mean fortunately. Exactly. Fortunately. They're listening to us from all over the world. This just, I mean, worldwide. You know what? You're not going to be able to tell us anything soon. Thank you, though, so much for taking the time to send us a question. I mean, he asked, what's it like being on a podcast together? For me, it's been really just a privilege to sit next to one of my dear friends every single week to talk about something that we'd be talking about anyway, to to talk on the phone more often than we already were. And then just thank you for answering my FaceTime (laughs) to just turn on the microphones and let people listen in on our conversations. I enjoy sitting at a desk and talking about a game that I love, but also the people that call in. I mean, Kristen and I have gotten to to talk to some very special guests that have dropped some amazing knowledge. And I've learned so much just sitting here about the world, about basketball, about individual people and what got them to to be as successful as they are. Oh, to the point that I'm actually shocked some of these people answer the phone. And yet here they are as guests. Exactly. On our podcast. I mean, all right, let's roll the next question. What's up, Ludlow and Parker? Liam Moran here from Ohio. Kristen, you interview players after games, and Candace, you are often interviewed after your own games. My question is, what's the funniest moment from a post-game interview you two have ever had? Thanks. Candace, you want to start this one? <laughs> You're already laughing. <laughs> well, one jumps out to me. It was after a playoff game, and my daughter was doing a post-game interview with me. Yes, and she was just hilarious. I mean, she would not stop talking the entire time. They're asking me questions and I'm trying to respond, but she's tapping me. And then at the end of the interview, she dabbed on television. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like everything just, that could have. I mean, just a, a real quick snippet of a, your parenting skills. Exactly. I was embarrassed for a second, but it's one of those that no need. definitely will go down in history. No need. One of her many genetic gifts. Oh, man. <laughs> I think for me, one of the funniest moments I can think of in a walk-off interview was with Nick Young. And I can't remember exactly what year it was or even where we were, but he had told me several weeks prior that God had given him the nickname Swaggy P in a dream. (laughs) I'm sorry. Oh, I'm so Nick. I'm not kidding. So Nick Young. And then he celebrated in a way we hadn't seen after a three-pointer in the game I was covering. And so I asked him, so if God gave you the nickname Swaggy P, 
Does God also give you those post three celebrations? Yeah, like he came in my dream last night and was showing me what to do. It was like a disco ball and it was a man like going back and forth like John Travolta. That's why I kept it up and I said, that's my John Travolta. Right so bringing back kind of the Showtime Lakers then. Yeah, you It know, stands you out to, to me as one of the funny, because how are you supposed to stand there holding a microphone, keeping a straight face while a grown man tells you God gave him this celebration in a dream. Well, Kristen, I have to tell you that one of my favorites as a fan watching you on television was whenever somebody comes and pours like water uh, no, see, or Gatorade. I'm sorry. It's funny to you. As a friend and as like a fellow teammate, <laughs> it gives me joy to watch your reaction, especially when you don't see it coming. No, but you can't though. You can't often see it coming. Sometimes they make it a little easier because they come up behind the player you're talking to. And so you I, can move out of the way. I had the advantage there a couple of times. Once Draymond Green was dumping the water on Clay Thompson. And so I had a chance to just back up smoothly back away and then back into frame as if I knew it was going to happen. But you can't always know. And I'm glad that's so entertaining for you and so bad. We need me. more of those. If anybody's <laughs> listening, that's stop in the doing NBA. that to each other. Stop. Please do, but do it le- more. At least when it's water, that's preferable to the Gatorade. Let's roll the next question. Hey, Candace and Kristen. This is Elizabeth from DC. Big fan of the podcast. My question is, what would you both be doing if you didn't have a career in basketball? Kristen, I would be a history teacher. Really? I, I am would- in love with history. I was always in love with history growing up. It, that was the homework that I finished way in advance. I always was way ahead in my textbook. Even now as an athlete, when I go to different places, you can always find me in a museum or the History Channel's always on at my house. Wow. I'm always watching documentaries. I did know that about you. Yeah, I'm a documentary like nerd. Like My friends call me nerd because I'm always trying to figure out history yeah. museums to go to on the road. Yes. And, I've exhausted all of my friends. So, hey, will you <laughs> will you go around Atlanta? I haven't been to Dr. Martin Luther King's. I would love to take I, you. I really want to go. I would love to okay. take you. Thank you. I would be a marine biologist. I love that. I wanted to be a marine biologist when I was growing up. I, I thought that, that if I could just study what was in the ocean, that means I could spend all of my time and life in At the ocean. The beach, yeah. That would be nice. I went on a field trip when I was in maybe seventh grade to down south of the Keys and spent every single day in the water doing the studies. But I was just as excited about the classroom portion where you learned about the different coral and the different sea life as I was about actually being out there. And when I was in middle school, I actually kept a handwritten notebook of my marine biology experiences. Anytime I even saw a dolphin, I wrote it down. (laughs) That is precious. (laughs) Can I just tell you that's precious? Have you done the little encounters at any of the hotels? Okay, so you're anywhere that I can go. (laughs) So you have like 50 million pictures with like a sea lion sticking their tongue out and like a dolphin. Me kissing all the dolphins. Yes. I was actually like in Mexico last year and we did the like dolphin ride where you where it comes up and it like picks you up and takes you across the little thing like dolphins are so intelligent and smart and i went in florida to see snowflake remember the dolphin from the movie and he doesn't have like the fin and it's just like but he's a star but he's a star and he doesn't even know it that he's a star but like everybody drives to see him yeah the best though i think are when those experiences happen Just naturally, a couple Mm. of summers ago, I was in a boat with friends and family and a dolphin swam up to the side of the boat. Nobody else wanted to jump out and I jumped right out. You know what? If I still had that notebook, I would have written it right in there. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, let's hear the next question. Hey, Candace and Christian, Jonathan from Brooklyn, New York. And I had a question for you too. So my question was basically for you guys, what was your most embarrassing moment on the basketball court? I have several. I have one that immediately I want you comes to, go. to mind. You go, you go. My most embarrassing moment on a basketball court took place literally on a basketball court, but it was during a volleyball game, my very first ever volleyball game and maybe sixth or so grade. The serve comes right to me. I back up, I back up, I back up. I notice that it's coming closer and closer to my face. I lean back. The ball hits me close enough to my face that my head tosses back. The ball hits me and goes through the basketball hoop behind my head. Oh, wow. That's talent, Christian. <laughs> yeah. Well, in sixth that's grade, wrong, wrong sport, that's but, humiliation. Yeah, wrong sport, but that's pretty, <laughs> that's that's talent right there. What about you? That would have definitely been unchecked in a fool, huh? Oh, undoubtedly. I'm sure my mom has a video of it somewhere. I may be able to oh, get her to, to submit call, it to the pod. I need to call, yeah. uh, I need Let, to call mama uh, yeah, to get yeah, that video. Yeah. Um, For me, it was my one of my first varsity games. I was a freshman in high school, you know, brace face, acne, high ponytail braids, all the, all that good stuff. A true beauty. Yeah. And you know, to add to that, the style at the time was like baggy, you know, baggy yes. warmups and it had the snap warmups where you just snap them off. I loved those like, by the way. Yeah. So my mom had been telling me to like roll the warmups and I was like, no, it's the style you wouldn't understand. Yeah, so right. I go to take off and my foot slips on Ooh. the end of the thing and I fall mm. in warm up line, like running out when they first announced <gasps> us. And yeah, it was embarrassing. I mean, I tried to get up like nothing happened, but but everyone knew something. Yeah, happened. everybody knew. They I knew fell. it had so, happened. Yep. Well, somebody who's undoubtedly had very few embarrassing moments on a basketball court, doing it at the highest level for the longest time. Doris Burke is on the phone. Kobe Bryant has 18 points. He's with Doris. Kobe, thank you. Strong effort from you, LeBron. I think it's in my best interest, Mike, to leave it at that. Congratulations. Good luck the rest thank of the way. Lord. Thanks, Doris. Thank you, Lord. Thank you very much, LeBron. All right, thanks, Doris. Our guest has covered basketball for decades, was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame last year as the Kurt Gowdy Media Award winner, and personally, my very favorite broadcaster. Thank you so much, Doris Burke, for taking the time. Oh, my pleasure with you two. It was uh, it was a no brainer for me. I enjoy both of your work, <sighs> Candice. I've been I feel like I've been covering you forever, and it's just uh, it's been amazing for me to see you just step into TNT and fit so seamlessly, and uh, just amazing. And Kristen, you and I have spoken over the years at uh, at the NBA Finals. I just to me like to see your generation of women so confident, so comfortable. Just as I've said to you. I think that that year at the finals or at the uh, at the hall, Kristen, you, you know, your generation is going to rule the world and I'm going to be retired and enjoying every single second of it. <laughs> oh, man. Did you think by any chance when you were hired by ESPN back in 1991 about the women that would look up to you in that role as the only one for so long? You know, no, I never. And it's really it's not anything I've consciously considered. Um and sometimes I think you women are very too kind to me. I, I didn't enter the business to be a role model, to be perfectly honest with you. I have, you know, I sort of picked up the ball at seven years of age. It has defined my life pretty much since then. And to be honest with you, I have been the the recipient of very good timing, right? So I leave coaching in 1990, right at a time when coverage of women's basketball starts to explode. And then in 1997, it 
really was the game changer for somebody who wanted to be a broadcaster in television because I could work full-time and by full-time do 32 games in the summer for the W and maybe 30 to 40 games in the winter covering, you know, various women's college basketball. Um, and so, yeah, no, I didn't set out to, to be a broadcaster. Uh, I just happened to be, you know, hit it right at the right time. That's for sure. Your very first broadcasting job, though, calling women's basketball games for Providence on the radio. And now mm. you're one of the most well-known and well-respected analysts in the industry at the highest level. If you were to try and sum up the journey from there to here, how would you do it? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. You have young people come up to you sometimes and say, you know, I want to be exactly where you are. And I think, well, that was a 30 year process yeah. or just about. <laughs> You've told me that. Be uh, patient. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, I think obviously, you don't. you fail more often than you succeed. And I always tell young journalists, like, do not worry about the job you don't have. Worry about the job directly in front of you and do the absolute best to master that job. And because if you spend a lot of energy worried about the jobs you didn't get, say a job comes down to two people and, and they select the other person, that's a very difficult thing to do, but you have to absorb it and keep moving. And it, it can't change the way you approach the job that you're in. You, you, just, you just have to sort of be tough-minded and stick with it if you're going to be in this business because both of you know it's subjective, right? Somebody could listen to me and think, I really like her style. And the person right next to him in the same room could go, I can't stand the sound of her voice, right? It's just the nature of it. Well, Kristen and I spoke uh, a couple weeks ago about how important it is for girls and women to continue to play sports mm. at the youth level. And how about around 14, a lot of girls drop out of playing sports. And I know, mm. you know, you played basketball growing up, played in college, what can you say the lessons that you learned from playing on a team sport that have, have helped you uh, in your job today? Well, first of all, I saw the same report, Candace, and it really uh, was alarming and a little bit disconcerting because I think all of us know, uh, obviously, the lessons you learn. You know, number one, it's not about you, right? If you're in a team sport, it's about the collective. That's maybe the most important thing. Uh, that, that success takes work, that sometimes you step on a practice court and you don't feel like practicing, but as soon as you sort of put your mind to it and get a little bit of sweat going and you say, you know what, okay, this is good, you learn how to handle both winning and losing with grace, hopefully, you know, if you're taught properly. Uh, you were taught by one of the, you know, I mean, the greatest figures in the history of basketball i'm not even going to put a gender on it like pat summit the opportunity to to have played for her i really i can't imagine all of the things you took from that canvas i so i'm going to just reverse the question to you like what's the most important lesson you took from what will be a hall of fame career into what you're doing right now that is an amazing question, honestly, and I am so thankful that I got to play for a legend. I think the thing from Coach Summit that I saw were two things. It was one, that she didn't just talk the talk, she walked the walk. And everything she had expectations for us to do, she did it 10 times over. And then she always spoke about people and passion. 
And if you surround yourself with both, you'll never work a day in your life and you'll be happy yeah. and <laughs> enjoy every moment. And that's what I've tried to do is just surround myself with positive people and people that are passionate about what they're doing. And, you know, that, that has been the reason why I'm here, uh, you know, and being able to team up with Kristen with, has with been me, amazing. Doris, yeah. With me, Doris, me. I'm yeah. here with Kristen. <laughs> she, she encompasses people and passion. No. <laughs> but Doris, then if you were to look back and you were to say, Hey, 22 year old me, as you're finishing mm. playing and, and starting into your career, which ultimately has landed you where you are, what would you tell yourself then? Oh boy. Um, I, I think it's, it's something I'm trying to still do. I, I, and you know, life has changed so drastically and, and as you know, our business is changing almost at light speed daily. You're getting, you know, different ways to watch the game highlights, et cetera, that this new generation, it's funny. I, over the years, there's been this evolution of feeling about me on social media, particularly when I covered men's college basketball. And then in the early years of my NBA, you know, for, for a good 10 years, people really didn't like me in that spot for the most part. I mean, there were some who were very diligent and kind of stuck with me, but it, that was a hard thing for me. Right. And you say, Oh, well tune it out, which I, I tried to do over the years and then, you know, for whatever reason, probably just because I've hung in here so long, the feeling has changed a little bit. And I would say the one thing I would like always say, like, don't pay attention to the good or the bad on social media, because the reality is I don't want to curse. I mean, I do want to curse because that's my, but it's all baloney, right? Like the good <laughs> and the bad that you get on social media is all baloney. The reality is your job is going to be defined and built and your bosses will tell you. So the two people I've tried really hard to pay attention to are my, my coworkers, people like you who are in the business and know what the life is, but then also what are the assignments my, my bosses are giving me and focusing on those two things. But, you know, social media was something I had to learn to navigate. And now I almost feel like because I use Twitter as a news source, I'm getting these reports of, oh my gosh, you you know, here's your screen time or whatever that is. And I'm thinking to myself, you've got to be better about this. Like there's got to be life beyond social media. <laughs> yeah. I, I think as a player, you know, when you sit down and you listen to social media or even analysts for me at Tennessee, there were a lot of times where coach summit used what people said as motivation for us at Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And then as well in the WNBA, they use a lot of what analysts said as motivation. And for the first time this summer, I was in a gym working out and Moody from Texas Tech came up to me and said that his dad used my quote as motivation for him. You know, no and so way. to be on the other side of things, it's very interesting sure. as a player to really, you know, look at that broadcaster like, oh, they, you know, but I think the way in which you do things in which you can say what you say, but it, you say it in a constructive way. And, yes. you know, I think that there's, you know, an art to that. How have you learned that through the years? And have there been some times where you've had to have some sit downs with some players that you were a little harsh on air to? I, it's, I'm so glad you just said what you said, because communication is so much more than just the words, even in a, in a medium such as television or radio, you know, your tone, um, just modulating your tone, um, presenting your information, you know, 
the way you say it. And I've made mistakes with it. And I would say recently, you know, I was I was frustrated that Kawhi did not play against Milwaukee. Did an 8:30 interview on ESPN, and I'm not backing away from my comments. I was really frustrated that I wasn't going. And and believe me, that particular night, Candace and Kristen, that particular night, I was a fan. Now I want my colleagues at ESPN to have the best players on the floor. You guys know this. It, it makes the night better. But I didn't like the way I said it, right? It was, it almost seemed too personal to me. I just felt like I could have said it better. So I continue to navigate that because you are passionate and you do feel strongly. And having those feelings is 100% okay and appropriate. And frankly, it's what we're paid for. But I do 100% agree with you. And I would ask young broadcasters to think about that. The power of your words is just that. They're powerful. And how you say something, um, the tone in which you deliver it, how your face looks as you deliver it, um, what's what's the level of your voice? All of those things are remarkably important. When you're in a conversation with somebody just individually, 65% of your communication is nonverbal. Now, somebody may not be consciously acknowledging all of that, but the fact of the matter is your body language, facial expression, all of it speaks volumes about your message. So great point. The NFL has Thanksgiving. The NBA has Christmas. Mm. Doris, how do you celebrate the holiday with an NBA game to cover? Well, I mean, Christmas for an NBA person is amazing. I would just say as a young mother, there were challenges with that. Now that my kids are a little bit older, it's, you know, it's much easier. But listen, I've got Milwaukee at Philadelphia. I feel like I've got perhaps the, other than the Lakers, Clippers, the best game. So I'm I'm pretty jazzed. What then would you say the, the NBA itself means to Christmas Day now? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I, would, you, would you guys say that that is, um, it, you know, sort of a second tip off of, of the season, right? I think opening night people are awfully excited. But then the sports landscape gets awfully cluttered and, you know, you're you're almost targeting certain matchups as a fan so you can watch. I mean, for us, we're immersed in the blue every day. Um, but to me, it's the time of year that signals, OK, we know we're, we're almost, you know, well past quarter of the season. Maybe we're at the third third mark of it. Um, and you have a sense of who's good. Who are the top tier, maybe four or five teams that can compete for a championship? Who, with maybe a move or two, um, could get into the conversation if they catch fire? Um, so, I mean, it's just, it's a special day, but I think it also is a trigger to, okay, now, you know, we're probably six weeks, seven weeks to the all-star break and then the dead sprint to the finish. So there's a rhythm to it. Don't you think you guys, that there's a rhythm to the NBA season and that's sort of a marker. Oh yeah. But I mean, as a fan, you know, Christmas Christmas day Day. is just like you open your presents and you sit down in front of you your television and you watch the NBA the entire day. And it's something that you look forward to. But yeah. but Doris, as, as a player, I have my routine. And for 12 years in the WNBA, either when I'm on the road or when I'm at home, I have my mm-hmm. game day routine. And, you know, this past season, I was able to 
be an analyst for the, you know, in Madison Square Garden with Kristen as well. Um, And I found myself the morning of the game a little confused as to what to do. (laughs) As an analyst, you're like, okay, I'm very excited about the game that starts at 7 p.m. tonight, but I don't know what to do. Uh, So are you a pregame routine person? Do you have a pregame meal? Do you nap? Like, what is your game day routine look like? Yeah, so um, definitely there's usually a rhythm to it. Uh, the, you know, if it's an evening game, then we're at shoot-around typically because we're going to, you know, capture some, some sound um, from the player, from the respective teams that we've requested. Um, sometimes that doesn't happen and, you, you you know, you have a busier night because now you're you're squeezing in two coaches' interviews <clears throat> prior to the game and then you're trying to get sound from two different players. So my rhythm would be, you know, attend practice if, if the coaches allow me, which I really, I so appreciate those coaches who might let me check out, shoot around. It really kind of depends which team or what time of year, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I really enjoy the visits with the players because you get insights into their individual game to the feel of the, the particular group. Um, so head to shoot around. We would typically have a production lunch or we're sort of going through the schedule that takes another hour. Um, all my prep is typically done except for, you know, sort of organizing my notes on, on any interviews we might do. And then I right after lunch, believe it or not, I try to get a workout in. I shower and then I'm always over into the building about four hours ahead of time because makeup. <laughs> Wait, that's what I was going to How do you get a workout in and then your hair still look? I, can't, I haven't figured out a way to get a workout in on the road and then my hair rebound by game time. Challenges. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully they have hair and makeup for me because yeah. I am a you know a disaster as that <laughs> as it relates to that. So, <laughs> Doris, I have a T-shirt that says my favorite broadcaster is Doris Burke, but that T-shirt was not the most famous one. I think the most famous one ever was the one that Drake wore. Now, I know that you've heard this thousands of times, but we want a reaction. Hang on one second. What did you think after you heard this? Well, usually on Drake night, I get to do a sideline. Actually, well, it's courtside commentary for me. My inspiration is Doris. Uh, I think she's a stunning woman. Incredible at what she does. I wish she was here tonight, but uh, yeah, just sending all my love to her. I don't know what camera to look at, but blowing a lot of kisses. <laughs> you know, uh, but yeah, I, don't no, know I love Doris with at, all my heart. You know, so hopefully she knows that. She's woman crush every day. That's why. I, that's why I wore the shirt. I love it. Woman crush every day, Doris. You didn't get Wednesdays. Yeah. You got every day. Every day. Yeah, not just Wednesdays. <laughs> You're every day. Would you like me to describe the scene of where I was when yes. I heard that? Yes, yes, please. So my daughter is a law student at Villanova. I'm in a, her really small apartment, and we're trying to cook dinner. And I get a text from a gentleman who's working the game in Toronto that night. And he said, you are about to blow up the Internet. Get yourself to a phone. (laughs) I mean, get yourself to a TV. And so I'm like, "Okay, what does he mean? And my daughter and I flip on the game and that happens. And we both just look at each other. I think we screamed. I don't really remember. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm stunned. I'm absolutely stunned. I know Drake is a huge star. I'm not sure I really, and even my daughter Sarah said this to me in the aftermath, she goes, I'm not sure you quite comprehend how big a star this man is. <laughs> yeah. So we had, a, we had a good time with it. It was really, and I'll be honest with you, it was, it was probably a year later where I actually got to speak to him for the first time 
and another game, and he came over at the half, and I said, you know, for what it's worth, I said, I know you didn't do it for this reason, but I am incredibly thankful that you expressed appreciation for my work and et cetera, et cetera. I said, because I do think you you probably changed some people's minds. Mm. And at this point, we probably shouldn't need that, right? But the fact of the matter is, Candace, when you're on set yeah. and those men are paying you respect and want your information and you know, have casual conversations with you about the game of basketball sends a very powerful message. And, you know, yes, it's 2019 and maybe we don't need to have it, but I've said this over and over and over again. It requires all of us for change to happen, whether we are talking about gender equality, race equality, whatever we're talking about where change is required, everybody has got to participate. That is the truth. And Honestly, just as somebody that has kind of crossed over and is really enjoying my work right now, but it does make it easier when you have those that are before you laying the groundwork and and doing it in such a great way. I mean, there's a number of people I know that turn into the game and talk about the next day about what Doris Burke said on air or, you know, there's certain people that you enjoy watching the game while you're on your couch and you know, for me, you said it earlier, the best way, you, you know, like, you know, the game of basketball, Kristen and I can say this until we're blue in the face, you know, the game of basketball. So whatever race, ethnicity, gender doesn't matter as long as your fans know that. And I think we're getting to a point now in 2019, finally, <sighs> that people are starting to accept that. No question. I, I have had people describe you to me in my world from ESPN in the highest possible terms, I'm like, yeah, like you can't be surprised at that, you know, like, and, but I, and I will say this though, and as I say, you, you can't be surprised And this goes to man or woman. It is one thing to know the game, but there is a skill set required to deliver it on TV and to understand what works where and to have some sort of chemistry. I was watching you Candace on um, the show with Stephanie Reddy. And there's just this, this ease with which you and Steve interact. And you can't feign that, nor can you manufacture chemistry. It exists or it doesn't. And, you know, I always think about those executives who are required to put teams together and there's no magic formula. You have to give those people runs together, right? Do they work or don't they? It's probably very similar to roles on, on the big screen or television. You have to, you have to let people work, but it's, it's just interesting. And I'm, you listen, nothing makes me happier than to hear people say they enjoy my work. Really, it warms my heart. It truly warms my heart because I know how damn lucky I am to be sitting there, truly. <sighs> Well, Doris, before we let you go, we like playing games with our guests. You broadcast a lot of games. You've called a lot of games. You've played in a lot of games. You've coached in a lot of games. But we're going to play a little game called Naughty or Nice. (laughs) (laughs) It's a Christmas theme. She wants to listen more. Hold on. We're going to tell you the rules. Hold on. All right. I'm listening. (laughs) This is who's on the Naughty or Nice list, the NBA edition. So I'm going to give you an example and you tell me whose is on the Naughty list and whose is on the Nice list. Do you understand the game? Am I I communicating this well? (laughs) 
<laughs> I think so. All right. Naughty or nice, NBA edition, starting with the jump shot. Whose is on the naughty list and whose is on the nice list this year? Oh, man, that's great. Well, they're nice. The first guy that comes to mind is Bradley Beal. It's just such a pretty, Ooh, smooth, that's gorgeous a good shot. One. Yeah. I like that. I, oh, he's under a lot of people's radar because mm-hmm. he plays for the Wizards. Naughty. So it's, it's. I don't want to say naughty because it makes me feel bad. <laughs> I, I, I happen to be watching as you're, as I'm on the phone with you. Toronto's playing Chicago on my laptop, and Orlando's playing Milwaukee. So you know where I want to go on the naughty list, and I'm not going to do it. (laughs) That's all right. I'm not doing it. You know what? We're tracking with you, and he's an MVP anyway. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll, we'll make it a little easier then. How about this? The naughty and nice list for the pregame outfit. Oh, this is great. Oh, man. Okay, naughty. Wow. Well, can can one person be both? Yes, can go Russell, for it. Can you can Russell be naughty and nice. Brooke, he can be naughty Russell and nice. Westbrook is naughty and nice. Yes, well, and I think he would love that. Some, yeah, he would love that. I think, what the hell is that? <laughs> and then sometimes I think, man, that man has got it going on. Wow. So yeah. Russell Westbrook is naughty and nice. Both naughty and nice, and she has made that list and checked it twice. I really like that. <laughs> All right, how about? Uniforms. We've seen a lot of different uniforms, seen a lot of the city editions, the naughty, the nice. Well, the nice is just, for me, Miami's. Yes. Yes. The Miami Vice. Oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. The colors and everything. Yeah. I know everybody likes the the Denver Rainbow editions. I I do. I'm not. I don't like those. Huh. I didn't like them way back when. Yeah. And I don't yeah. like them now. Yeah. So why bring them back? Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. We got one more and we're going to go team okay. team mascot. Naughty and nice. Oh, team mascot. I I enjoy Benny the Bull. Yes. yes. <laughs> and I'm from uh, Chicago. I grew up like wanting to hug him more than yes. high five Michael Jordan. Like you don't understand. <laughs> she loves Benny. No, I love Benny. Benny the Bull just absolutely cracks me up. Uh, I don't know that I have a naughty. Uh, who, who gives Robin Lopez the hardest uh, time? Yes. That's, That's a, a good fair one. point. Yeah. yeah. No, I would I, say whichever, whichever mascot upstages Robin Lopez. Yeah, I think it's really Robin giving them a hard time. Not really (laughs) them giving Robin a hard time. It's a misconception. You're probably right. I'm giving Robin Lopez the naughty. There we go. There you go. He's on the naughty list for the team mascots. Doris, it has been Uh, a privilege, a pleasure, not just to get to know you over the last handful of years, but that you would take the time to be part of our show as well, that you didn't just bust through so many of these doors on your own, but you've turned around to make sure that you're grabbing the hands of those of us behind you. And I am so grateful. So is Candace. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. No, Kristen Candace, thank you. Thank you for having me. Keep knocking the dead, guys. Thank you. Joel Embiid. I'm really excited about the um, Christmas game. First of all, because it's our home uh, for the first time since I've been in the league, so that's exciting. Here he comes. Yes. It's always exciting playing on Christmas Day. I'm so excited to play against Philly. It's going to be a fun game to watch, and uh, hopefully the fans can enjoy, you know, the, uh, Christmas Day and fun NBA also. Kawhi, look out! 
Uh, able to be home uh, with my family, uh, you know, to start off the Christmas morning, being able to have the blessing to play at home in your own arena, not traveling, and then be able to come back home and eat some Christmas dinner. Instead, Lonzo Ball for three. Yes! For me, just to be able to play, you know, with my teammates on such a national holiday like that, I mean, everybody's going to be tuned in. So it's just great to be able to put on a show for those people. Kemper Walker putting on a display. I'm so excited to play on Christmas Day. Um, it's an opportunity that I've never, you know, had throughout my NBA career. So, you know, for me to get this experience, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's, it should be fun. You know, um, I know my family's excited as well. So, yeah, it should be a fun, it should be a fun experience. In pursuit, Lowry, up left by Draymond Green. Wow, what a rejection. You know, the one thing about playing on Christmas Day is obviously you wake up, you open up the presents with the kids, and you're still kind of trying to stay in that mental space of, like, I got a game today. You know, you try to keep things as normal as possible, but understanding that, you know, Christmas is a huge day for your children if you have children. Just trying to embrace that while still staying locked in on the game. It's always a tall task, but it's a fun one. Candace, to close out the show, we've got a couple of more fan questions, but these are Christmas-themed. Roll the first one. What's up, guys? This is Hunter from Utah. Love the podcast. My question is, if Santa's elves could help build the ultimate NBA player, what attributes would you take from current players? That is an excellent question. Fantastic. <laughs> the elves. Let's or, see. I mean, we've got to go head to toe, you right? Him. If the elves are creating the mm-hmm. perfect NBA player for Christmas Day, the hair. Who do we start with? Ooh, that's a good one. If I think of great hair, I think of like Jason Tatum. I think Jason Tatum has a superb line. It's a, it's a great hairline. He's yes. a great hairline. Yeah. And I also <laughs> think that he gets haircuts. His teammates have said he's gotten, he gets haircuts like every other day or every two days. He gets a lineup. So, so am I taking this the opposite direction if I threw out like Robin Lopez, perhaps? Yeah. <laughs> I think right. that that would be, yeah, the opposite way. We can move down. Then how about the smile? No. Let's, let's go with the eyes. Let's go eyes, yeah. Chris you got to go Chris Paul. Okay. Chris Paul. Yes, Chris Paul. I mean, are we talking court vision or are we talking eyes? Oh. Well, I was just saying that he has pretty <laughs> eyes. <laughs> he okay. does. If we're going eyes, we're talking about Chris Paul. He probably has the double pa- I mean, double feature. Okay, He's okay. got court vision and he has the right. nice eyes. Yes, he has pretty eyes, also has great court vision. So Chris Paul I would say, okay, we'll go with Chris Paul on that one. Because right. he has both. Then how about the smile? I gotta think of somebody that smiles all the time, which I can't really think of anybody in the NBA that just constantly <laughs> plays with a smile. Everybody just seems so angry. Wow. You know what, guys? Loosen up. But if I were to, I mean, at least what feels like the most special smile is Kawhi's. Because you feel like you earned it. Vocal I would leadership. say vocal leadership would be Giannis. I would say, oh, we skipped eyebrows. Are you going Anthony Davis since he like kind of coined the fear the brow? Right. Well, okay. So then if we're just talking about physical attributes, then we'll go with Anthony Davis's eyebrow and James Harden's beard. Bam. And let's let's think about like how well they play the game. Like, you know, 
understanding basketball, that type of thing, like brain for the game. IQ. Where, yes. Thank LeBron you. LeBron James. That's why I keep you around, Kristen. I, was, I could not think of the word. I was like, so, you know what I'm talking about. So yeah, yeah, yours. Very high. <laughs> <laughs> my, my very high. What is it? Okay. But if we could go with LeBron's IQ, so his brain and his brawn is what I would have. Like, could we could we build also? Off of his stature. Yes. Yes. See, I got stature. stature. I I got that word. Nailed it. Yep. Then as we continue moving down, all right, into the arms, the the shooting and the jump shot ability. I mean, Steph Curry without a doubt. Without a doubt. I would say it's a tie between Klay Thompson and Steph Curry. Even though Steph Curry gets the nod just because he shoots off the dribble, I feel like better than Klay and his handles are a little bit better than Clay's. Then whose handles could be better than Steph's? Would you take perhaps Kyrie's handles? I think what makes Steph's handles so crazy are because of his shot. So I think he has the craziest handles in the game. But if you pair Kyrie's handles with Steph's shot, that's what we're doing. I we're think building it would be crazy. The perfect player yeah. for Christmas. I think. <laughs> I think the elves would definitely take Kyrie. <laughs> All right, then lower extremities, strength of lower half. I mean, <laughs> Russell Westbrook has to be somewhere yes. in here just because I think he is the only athlete in the NBA. I won't say the only athlete. He's one of a handful of athletes in the NBA that could probably play any sport. He could play football. He could play baseball. He could run track. He's that explosive. He's that explosive right now. And he's in his 30s. It's scary. Then feet. How about footwork? I mean, we have to go James Harden, right? I, I mean, watch that guy dance. I would say James Harden, but you know what? I'm going to go with the surprise. I think sometimes it's not always like the quickest of foot. I mean, Luka Doncic, you got to put him in there somewhere. Right. Luka's unbelievable. I mean, what he does, his fakes, I think Luka's in there. And then we can we can give a little, a little love to Ice Trey. I mean, Trey gets... yeah. As small as he is to be able to get the separation that he does, I think Ice Tray is another one. Boom. There's your perfect player for Christmas. <laughs> You're welcome. <Yeah. laughs> All right. Last question. Hey, this is Kaylee from Texas, and I love the podcast duo. My question is, what are the best and worst Christmas presents you've ever received or given? <laughs> well, Candace is already laughing, so I'm going to let her start with this one. Every year, I got... A robe and underwear from my grandma every <laughs> single year. And my parents would encourage me to act surprised and act excited. And I would be like, it's the same thing yeah. every year. And then it would always be like too small or so that's my like gift that I was just didn't want to get. Yeah. And then the gift that I remember being the most excited about was I wanted an American girl. I wanted Addie so yes. bad. I wanted Addie more than anything oh, in the entire world. Some of my world. favorite Christmas memories are surround American girls. I mean, it was like I, I had all the books. I had yes. everything. And I did not have an American girl. And I remember the store got built in Chicago. Oh. And we drive past it. And I would just like wish and hope. And I remember every night I was like, I went over all the good things I did during the day. <laughs> and then I would try to like talk my way out of the bad stuff I did, like reason with Santa. Yeah. And then on that Christmas morning, I'll never forget coming down those stairs and seeing Addie. And it was like, it was, I like still get chills. Yeah, I remember feeling the same way about my Samantha. Your Samantha doll. Yes. yes. I love Samantha. Oh, wow. Easily a, a best Christmas gift. And I guess the worst that I've given or received is the robe and underwear I had planned to give to you this year. <laughs> well, I'm glad that I stopped it before it happened. 
Thanks so much to the fans for sending in those questions. We've got to do that more often. Join us again on Ludlow and Parker next week because we're saying goodbye to 2019. It's crazy, And Kristen. hello to the roaring 20s. Kristen, it's crazy. 2019 has flown by. Yeah. I, I have to say this. Um, every year, my brother and I, we always talk about being better people. And that's what we want to do. And like this year, dang it, it got away from me. <laughs> I must say, it's, so 2020 is definitely my year. It's December. It's and, definitely and, my year. And it, I'm you Anthony. Are. It's my year. <laughs> I'm going to be a better person in 2020.